The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. It gives me great pleasure to welcome, first and foremost, uh, Dr. Avi Nihuluan, who is an associate professor in the UCD School of Mathematics. She w- was also, you will recall, uh, chair of the Citizen- Citizens Assembly rather, on biodiversity loss. loss. And in that guise, as she was speaking before the Oireachtas uh, today, even you're very welcome to the show and thank you for speaking to us. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on, Kieran. What was your message to our politicians on Ireland's flora and fauna? Uh, Well, it's more than the flora and fauna. Biodiversity is actually all the the systems, um, the natural systems on on the earth. Um, And so that, that governs, you know, the health of our water, the health of our air, the soil, uh, and then obviously the flora and fauna with that, it's peatlands, it's forestry, um, it's agriculture, it's urban planning. So what we were doing today was presenting um, the 159 recommendations for discussion. And we were in for almost three hours with lots of questions from the committee uh, going through the recommendations that the members, you know, voted on and carefully worded. And I had some of the members of the Citizens Assembly with me there as well, one of uh, whom is a small farmer from the west of Ireland and another um, was a, another member from County Clare. And it was great to get their perspectives on the work done and a reminder, I guess, of um, the kind of changing of mindsets that happened through all of the respectful discussions that members of the 99 members of, of the Citizens Assembly had over the 10 months of their work. And how important is it in terms of the adoption of recommendations from the Citizens Assembly that more mindsets are changed? To what, to what, to, to what extent is that the big hill you're pushing a boulder up? Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important, um, Kieran. And this is an interesting kind of line to kind of uh, teeter on because in one way you don't want to panic people, but in the other way, we need people to have the, a sense of the urgency of the biodiversity loss. Biodiversity actually underpins all of nature's systems and we depend on nature to provide for us in terms of food, but also protect us. And areas that are biodiverse are more protected from climate change, as in if we have planted the right trees in the right places, we are protected from flooding. If we keep peatlands in a good state, they actually will sink more carbon for us. So it's really important that we um, try to now conserve the biodiversity that's been left. And there's a lot that's going wrong with it, but we can turn it around because nature is quite resilient. But we need to make sure that we're looking after the ecosystem services we depend on, like water purification, photosynthesis, pollination. One in three bites of food depends on a pollinator. Like we need to make sure that they're still there for us. And, um, you know, climate, uh, carbon sequestration, health and well-being is a huge part of nature as well. And I think one of the most prevalent messages that I came across from the Assembly was that we need to do this not just for ourselves, but for the generations coming after us. Uh, I think in Ireland, we have a great culture of considering ourselves as custodians of the land. Farmers, you know, particularly hold that close to their hearts. But we all need to uh, play a part in that, making sure that the environment that we leave for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren is there for them to depend on and enjoy. And uh when you are pushing that boulder up the hill, you know, in terms of changing mindsets, I mean, do you worry about how potentially toxic the conversation and debate can mm. get around these issues? 
Yeah, and we actually, that was a part of the questions that we had today from members of the Oireachtas about the polarised nature of the debate. Um, and, you know, it, that's it's a complex problem, obviously, but things we need to definitely acknowledge is that, you know, there are many people who want to maintain the status quo. And in general, it's the people who are wealthier and are in positions of power who want to maintain a status quo because they might be afraid of change. And they're the ones that often govern the narrative on it. And we need to be very careful about the misinformation and disinformation that happens about this. But this is where citizens' assemblies can act in a really good way, because in that process of deliberative democracy, there is time and there's space for people to gather together have very, very different opinions, but try and find a consensus on it. And we had that on the Citizens' Assembly. You know, there were people on it who didn't necessarily believe there was a climate crisis even, or, you know, um, people who on the other end of it knew fundamentally there was. And they are people who sat at the same table and had discussions and debates. Um, And I think, you know, the Citizens' Assembly is a really good template for Mm. that to try and find a consensus. But we need time and we need trust. And a lot of trust, I think, has been broken. Um, But I also think we need the diversity of voices, that we're not just bringing people from the edges in, that we're trying to build consensus. And for that, we need time and we need people in the same room. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, that we're not just focused on kind of bringing people from the edges in. Uh, To a degree, are there certain people, and I don't want to be dismissive of anyone's concerns, but in, in terms of building consensus that you just need to write off, you know, that you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to convince everybody of the value of your argument. What you need to do is maybe convince the, the, the majority of people of the value of your argument. And, and one can easily get lost down the rabbit hole of kind of, you know, arguing with somebody who thinks that, you know, reducing nitrate use on our land is part of uh, a World Health Organization plan to remove farmers from the soil and replace them with immigrants as part of some great reset. Uh, well, listen, I mean, the beautiful thing about democracy is it is a majority vote on it. Um, and I think if we talk about things like the nitrates derogation that's happening at the moment, or we look at the EU nature restoration law, where we saw an awful lot of vested interests and lobbying happening against um, a, a, a move towards conserving the environment, um, you know, it's important to recognise who is governing those and why they might be governing those as well. I think the nitrates uh, derogation is a difficult, it's a very, very difficult conversation to have. And it's not one that the Citizens' Assembly made a specific recommendation on. But at the same time, you know, we hear the statistics about our water quality in Ireland and for 30 years they've been going downwards. Um, we don't want to end up in a place like we've seen in Loch Ney, where, you know, all life in the water is gone and it won't be able to be used now for human consumption. In Ireland, we had 500 pristine rivers in the 1980s and we now have 32. Half of the freshwater systems in Ireland are in poor and deteriorating condition. So it's not in a good place. So the derogation will go down as long as water quality goes down. But once water quality starts to go up, we can have a better discussion about that nitrate derogation and potentially start to discuss whether it should be a national derogation or actually should be specific to the areas where it is particularly concentrated and where the freshwater is not in good condition. Because there are pockets of Ireland where it is wonderful. And thankfully, I was at home at the weekend. We were on the Carib. You know, there's plenty of dragonflies. There was lots of mayflies there over the summer. You know, there's aspects and elements of Ireland where we're doing things really well. And it's to focus maybe more... um, specifically on places where it's not going as well. Yeah, now the, 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 the 
clear waters of the Corrib compared to the nitrate-rich waters of the southeast of Ireland, where I'm from. That's really a reflection, though, of the the type of farming and the suitability of land for different types of farming, isn't it? I would actually say, uh, Kieran, that it's more um, an indication of a failure in policies okay. and and a failure in prior practices that that policies have emphasized and with that you know farmers have not been well supported and it, obviously now it's difficult for them because there's a u turn coming in the policy and this is where time needs to be had dialogue needs to be had to bring that around but at the same time we also have to consider that yes the farmers are key actors in this debate but so is everyone else who's dependent on that water mm. farmers are dependent on the water so that they can use it on their own farms as well but so are the people who are looking to use and enjoy the waters and this is something that it is it has to be an all of society approach but it is it's it's a failure in policies yeah the policies have emphasised maximising agricultural outputs and now we need to start emphasising optimising farming practices within environmental boundaries. Oh, um, pardon the pun, I mean, what's the low-hanging fruit in terms of reversing <laughs> trends? Um, you know, I keep getting asked that question and I'm loath to point out low-hanging fruit of the 159 because really what it needs is it needs to be made a government priority we need to be enacting the laws and policies that we already have. We are not good at that at the moment. We're not even, we are breaking our own laws and we're breaking EU laws consistently. So if we do that, make it a priority, enact it and resource it, we'd be doing an awful lot of good things very well. But there are specific low-hanging fruit politically um, or mm. policy-wise and structurally that I think we could do very quickly and it would make and what um, are they? great strides. <laughs> well, something that we might like to consider um, or our policymakers like might like to consider is that everywhere that we have a climate action unit and every single department does have that, it should be climate action and biodiversity. There are two sides of the same coin. Similarly, we should um, have an independent agency that oversees everything in biodiversity. Currently, we have the National Parks and Wildlife Service, but they're a pocket of heritage under the Department of Housing um, local authority and heritage and then not in the Department of Environment and Climate Action. So there are structural things that I think we can do really quickly and really well. One simple thing that I would love um, to see done is that the red list for extinct species be aligned with the hunting season list. You know, something very, very simple like that. Don't hunt the snipe, they're on the red list. Um, so there are between very high level top down elements and mm. from the bottom up elements supporting communities, supporting NGOs and um, supporting local community groups. And um, over the 159, you'll see recommendations that are very specific across all sectors. Dr. Avini Hulawan, Associate Professor in the UCD School of Mathematics and former Chair of the Citizens Assembly on Biodiversity Loss. Avian, as always, thanks a million for joining us here on the show. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.